Hello, welcome to season three of the Pretty Deadly podcast. I'm Susie Colick, the creator of Pretty Deadly Self-Defense, a self-empowerment program through self-defense. I'm a storyteller, a violent crime survivor, and a martial artist. I've used these experiences to develop a program that's tailored for the way women actually learn, the things we actually face, and that's actually fun. Well, I think it's fun. In the first two seasons of our podcast, I chatted with Kate Leone, a journalist, single mom, and world traveler. Kate had never taken a self-defense course before, and we figured her questions were probably your questions, too. So if you've been following along all along, thanks for listening. You can keep up with Kate on her podcast at RestoriaTherapy.com. For this season, it seemed like a good time to change things up a bit. The new theme song you're hearing, by the way, is an excerpt from a song called Icarus Wish by Berlin punk trio Dead Sentries, who also happen to be my neighbors, and who are generously letting me use this track, which you can also find on Bandcamp. Anyway, I thought it was time to head out into the world, virtually speaking, and talk to other women and men in the universe of self-defense, self-empowerment, and martial arts. I'm talking to old friends, new acquaintances, and complete strangers. Yes, I do talk to strangers, because I can defend myself. But I might hang up on them, too. We'll see. So if you've stuck with us so far, keep listening, keep learning, keep laughing. You never know who we're going to talk to next. Well, I do. Welcome to episode 52 of the Pretty Deadly Podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Marilise Robinson. She's a black belt in ninjutsu, has a master's in international conflict and peace studies, and is working towards advocacy for migrant rights. And she's a pretty deadly coach. I've never trained with Marilise in person, but we come from the same school in Los Angeles, Yamato Dojo Studio City Martial Arts, and she trains with all my old comrades. Oh, before we start, I did also have a message I was supposed to give you. From um, Stanley? How did you know? Is it Ed for Master? Yes. Yeah. Good. That's great. Pretend like I said it to you and then I'll won't get in trouble. Okay. Well, when you see Stanley, same, M for Master. Okay, great. Thanks. Marilise just got married, congratulations, and lives in Los Angeles with her new husband and two dogs. When she's not training, she works for the Consulate General of Canada. She's very proud of her Irish heritage and... And I know I'm not saying yeah. your name correctly again. You're fine. You said it right with Serena, actually. Did I? Yeah. Marilise? Okay. Marilise. Okay, cool. Got it. Yeah. Stop right <laughs> yeah. there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, hi, I'm Marylise Robinson. I have trained in Taijutsu, in Nimpo Taijutsu. I don't know. The names change. It feels like all the time. I know, right? Who I talk to. I just go with ninjutsu these days because okay. it's yeah. Yeah. So ninjutsu since 2011, so nine years. Um, very on and off because I went to college the summer. So I started in the summer and then I went to college for four years and I would train every summer. And when I came back for holidays and then I trained for real, but then I moved to Dublin and then I trained in Buda, uh, Bujikan okay. for the whole year. And now I'm back again. So it's just, it's, it's always changing, well, <laughs> but I try to keep it in the same family. It's the way of so, the ninja. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's just fun, too, because you see all the different ways people train, like in the San Diego dojo when I was an undergrad and the Dublin mm -hmm. dojo and Studio City and Alan's classes. They're mm -hmm. all you see similarities, but then you see some differences in right. mentalities and what matters. And a lot of things that you've talked before on other episodes about um, some of the kind of male dominant dominating mentalities and mm -hmm. needing the female presence to try to teach us how to use our own bodies that's <laughs> like an overarching theme globally that I just I hope that uh, laugh I just did sounded evil because <laughs> <laughs> because yes and <laughs> yeah it's it's irritating um yeah, what what how did you find ninjutsu ninpo taijutsu oh, taijutsu yeah <laughs> all the above all of the above yeah. Um, so my best friend, Chelsea, I don't know if you've got to meet her ever. I, yeah, I know Chelsea. Um, uh -huh. Oh yeah. So Chelsea started training when we were seniors in high school and she spent half the year trying to convince me to go just check it out with her. And 
I went for, to surprise her for her birthday. And that was my first time seeing it. And I just remember thinking everybody was there was really nice. And it seemed like this fun community rather than kind of my previous experience walking into martial arts studios um, that weren't, that were very, they were aggressive and they were harsh. And um, I remember the teachers would always come over and try to introduce themselves to me and say, I'm your master. What? Oh, yeah, that was, they were the like master, you know, Peter Patterson, you know, whoever was the teacher. And what martial arts schools were you walking into? I mean, what styles? It was Hapkido. Uh, that was the uh, local one a lot of people did have keto in my area uh and it really sat wrong with me I was like you are not my master you are not in charge of me I mm." and it was just so strict and they were so oh gosh there was just no way they would accept my body they just kind of said this is the way it works and either you do it or you're doing it wrong so it just had a really bad taste in my mouth which is why I was always reluctant when Chelsea kept inviting me but Uh this place just totally different like Mm-hmm. Um, Cody Sensei came over and didn't even use Sensei. Right. Just was like, I'm Cody. And right. I think Jennifer was there that day. And just mm-hmm. everybody was very focused on Chelsea, but then acknowledged that I was a person and right. didn't try to put me into the hierarchy. Right. So, Good. Yeah. So I then she convinced me and I started trying it. And it kind of fell dominoes from there, where it just became a community. And I really fell into loving how family oriented it felt and mm-hmm. we cared about each other as people mm-hmm. rather than as purses right um oh i was just gonna ask you a question so you already had an interest in martial arts yeah i wouldn't say much of an interest it was my little brother started doing it and then mm-hmm. my mom wanted me to learn as a high schooler mm-hmm. and so i was kind of put in there and forced to learn and Part of it was that I was in uh, a soccer player. I was a competitive Mm -hmm. soccer player. And my form of competitive (laughs) is similar to how I just described martial arts. I don't like this mentality of we have to play the game to win. We have to beat the other team and we have to train every night until our feet bleed because it's all about winning the game and getting the trophy. Mm -hmm. I was very, we're in a team so we can work together and we can have fun and if we win, that's great. It's the goal. That's and interesting. So it just, oh, it got so competitive to the point where I actually ended up getting the flu one year because it was a frost. And uh-huh. our coach wouldn't let us, he forced us to train during the frost. And right. my, my lungs literally felt like they were being stabbed. So I had to quit and my, I was looking for something else to do physical. And since my brother was doing it, my mom said, it would be better if we both did the same thing. <laughs> So, better for her yeah. probably yeah oh much easier yeah, <laughs> two yeah different schools already she didn't want to go to two different activities exactly um yeah that's funny that you say that I played um soccer in Los Angeles a little bit before <laughs> I started um martial arts with a bunch of but it was like the most chaotic and disorganized kind of oh amateur <laughs> group so we didn't we didn't even play other teams we just played each mm-hmm. other this is big Perfect. group of women and we just decided we wanted to start playing and my entire strategy mm-hmm. <laughs> on the field was intimidation that was it <laughs> i would just <laughs> i would just i whoever had the ball because usually i was playing usually i was playing like you know I was playing defense. So I was guarding the goal. Okay. Oh, so you were um, sweeper. Yeah. So whoever yes. was coming towards me with the ball, I just ran towards uh-huh. them with a, with a really yeah. scary look on my face. That was yep. it. So they called uh-huh. me the bullet. Although I don't know why, because I, I wasn't fast, but I was very intimidating. That was perfect. That was it. In fact, I don't even think I ever even touched the ball. I just made sure that they gave it away. <laughs> well done. I, as yeah. long as they didn't score. Yeah, but now that you say that, I'm sort of thinking like that was also that's also kind of my approach in ninjutsu. I was gonna say it doesn't (laughs) sound any different than now. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, that's I guess that's just who I am. Oh, nice. Or or not, I guess, depending on what end you're on. (laughs) It it does. It does. But I'm assuming like if you like the person, you might just give them a scary face but not actually bulldoze through them. No. No, I would never yeah. bulldoze through anybody. Oh, okay. 
It's not my fault if they don't get out of the way. <laughs> but still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you found the dojo, you found Studio City Martial Arts yeah. and started training and mm-hmm. and you really enjoyed it. Mostly Cody's lightsaber. Yeah. Okay. Like that was the only reason I stayed, actually. Okay. <laughs> he pulled out a lightsaber in my first class. And that so, that sold and you. That, yes. I decided that I had found somebody who understood the important things in life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you learned did, how to train. To the train. Yeah. But you did you did continue though. So when you went mm-hmm. when you went to university, mm-hmm. you continued. And when you went to Ireland, you continued. So what was mm-hmm. it about the art that was speaking to you? Do you know? Um so in university, I didn't actually continue until my third year um because the first years I didn't have a car and I was in San Diego and you can't leave La Jolla when you're mm-hmm. at UCSD so I was stuck but by my third year I did have a car and um it was really continuing because when I came back to train I just wanted to stay at the level I was at I was progressing so slowly and mm-hmm. It wasn't so much that I wanted to keep moving forward as much as I wanted to keep the same quality of the training. And it would bother Mm -hmm. me that I'd come back and have three months in the summer and it would take me about a month to a month and a half just to get to back to the point where I could throw people again and get thrown. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to maintain that. And then it's really weird because each dojo I've been at, I feel like did something to kind of shift my mentality from I'm doing this to spend more time with Chelsea and to have fun into I'm doing this because I want to. Mm-hmm. It, it was more of a journey towards that. It really, right. it, I did not keep going because I wanted to keep going. There was always a motive behind it until um, I got to Dublin. And when I got to Dublin, that was when I wanted to keep training because I wanted it. And ironically that reached the time that I had my black belt, but it, that was also the point you probably experienced this we just stopped caring about the belts right right the black belt just didn't matter so yeah I think by the time I got back from San Diego and Chelsea had left to go to Louisiana Mm -hmm. I had figured out I think this is something I want and I fully committed into that Mm -hmm. after I got my black belt yeah it's funny isn't it the it's like the reward of the black belt is not caring about the black belt yeah yeah, is the is the nice thing. So how did you how did you find it going from this environment that you felt was sort of like a family at Studio City mm-hmm. Martial Arts into the dojo in San Diego and then to Bunjinkan in Ireland and these different places that you walked into? Mm-hmm. It was very hard. To assimilate into them, um, mm-hmm. mostly because Studio City is such a small group. I mean, you know, the school is very small. Um, mm-hmm. We would have maybe like five people training, mm-hmm. and then these schools were massive. Um, I had a harder time in San Diego because their school was run by some Navy SEALs. Uh-huh. So <laughs> they were great. They really knew what they were doing, and they were really interested in teaching everything to be well rounded. Mm -hmm. So there would be like night classes where we would go outside and train in the dead leaves around trees. And we'd go to someone's pool and learn how to cut um, those massive gallon water bottles and with the sword so we could work on our angles. And, but it was just interesting because it was all very focused on high skill. Mm -hmm. So you could tell the focus wasn't as much on the community. And there were a lot of guys there and this is just a thing I don't I've noticed in most schools um you've probably seen it where a lot of the guys like to muscle through the techniques right and they assume that you're going to go however the technique's supposed to put you right and I wouldn't right <laughs> so like and, and it just it made it very difficult for me to integrate with them for those reasons um and then by the time I was in Dublin it was just much easier. Dublin school was so interesting because that one was so international. Like we had people from Italy, other uh, other people from the states. We had people from, gosh, where? Oh, uh, I think Spain, 
French person, I think it was just, it was very all over Europe Mm -hmm. and the States. And that was a much more familial experience, but it was also so big that I had a hard time finding where I fit. Right, right. So it made it it hard, but it was different. It was good. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, I experienced the same thing with like a lot of the guys just kind of expected me to move how I was supposed to be moved. And then I, I made their techniques wrong. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that for a second. So what do you mean exactly by um, you didn't move the way that they expected you to move? Is it because of how you reacted to them muscling or were your reactions natural or was it, um, so with all due respect, and I'm saying this only because this is the kind of stuff that I do, you Mm -hmm. know, where it's like when I'm starting to get irritated with somebody, a guy, it's always a guy um, who's, (laughs) who's muscling through something um, and trying to basically show me just how strong and amazing and powerful he Mm -hmm. is. Um, But I also know that he's not really grasping the essence of the technique, or at -hmm. least as far as I understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I won't move the way they want me to move just to piss them off. (laughs) Definitely done both. I've definitely done both. Um, The other thing that happens for me is I actually have wonky joints. Mm -hmm. So I get called Gumby a lot. Um, Okay. And it's not necessarily because I'm overly flexible. It's just that... I can hyperextend my elbows, my wrists, and my shoulders and my knees, mm-hmm. which is not good for me. Um, but mm-hmm. it also, it's a whole other level of training that I need to do for myself to become more aware of my body and protect it. Mm-hmm. But for other people, it also means they need to do it perfect. Right. Because um, so many of the elbow techniques, you know, you lock it, you push it. Mm-hmm. Typically, people will go down. Right. But for me, you can't really lock my elbow unless you've right. locked my whole arm with my shoulder right. and that includes my wrist. Right. And a lot of people haven't gotten to a point to understand that the same technique doesn't work at the same point, mm-hmm. the same way on each body. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, they, they just don't, don't do it. And so it's not that even that I'm trying to do it to annoy them or that it's not, I'm going with it naturally. It's just, my body doesn't do it. Right. Right. So then they get angry and then they push and force and then like one time my shoulder got dislocated and it was yeah yeah that's a that's yeah that's not great that's a frustrating thing um I don't have any joints that hyperextend and I'm 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 quite I'm very flexible Mm -hmm. um which kind of amazes me because because I'm older now and I'm still like I'm still I'm impressed with how flexible I still am that's, I'm not trying to brag about it, but I'm just, yeah. you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I can still do this. What do you know? It's because you still use your body. Well, but I know other people, other martial artists the same age, but who may come from different disciplines um, mm-hmm. and they've had a little bit of different wear and tear so that yeah. they might not have the same range of motion. You know, I'm definitely, yeah. I don't have the same, I have the same range of motion, but not the same use in one of my shoulders. And that's from ninjutsu, but that's the only place. Everything else is like generally okay, I guess, as far as I know. But the, um, that sort of punishing you um, because they're frustrated that Mm -hmm. the technique isn't working um, is, uh, you know, then really trying to force it and causing injury because of it is something that I wish would get addressed a little bit more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in martial arts like- schools because it's, because it's, I mean, I think men also experience it. You know, it's not just something that only happens to women. I think it just happens to us more. And also because we are more flexible. Mm-hmm. So it can be more difficult to, you know, if you're used to doing a technique on a guy, especially that's like a shoulder or elbow or wrist lock where, or a finger lock, you know, where, yeah. And the flexibility, the range of flexibility is so much smaller. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't take that much to do the technique, but on a woman where there's a lot of flexibility or like you, where you actually hyperextend and you actually, you have to get it technically correct. Yeah. Um, that can be, that can be frustrating if that's something you're experiencing for the first time. But I, it, I think 
I feel that we were really lucky um, in Los Angeles because, because Sensei Minge was very clear and Cody as well and Alan and, and Brian and, and Mark in Colorado, they always really stressed, you know, not all bodies are the same. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and don't muscle your way through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, go ahead. uh, A lot of other schools wait until they find somebody like that who doesn't fit the norm to start looking at how our body is different. They just assume it's the same until I come along. Right. Right. But it's just a, it's a, it's a really frustrating experience. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot that's really frustrating yeah. about that. Yeah. Kind of and it's also not to say that everybody in San Diego and Dublin was like that. Like there were a lot of really good people and I did get a lot of really good training and the senseis mm-hmm. knew a lot of what they were talking about. So mm-hmm. I don't want this to seem like I'm trashing on them at all. Cause I even had some of the same issues in LA where just right. some people come in and they don't get it. Right. Or they get excited and they move so fast that I'm just like, oh, no, my elbow's out. Okay, please stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, I've experienced it, it when I've trained in other places as well. Like, you know, most of the time it's fine, but there's always one or two people who want to muscle through. And yeah. um, in my experience, it's been more about, um, uh, more about being frustrated that, that I could execute a technique better than somebody, but that's because I have had more training perhaps than the person that I'm training with. Um, That's a, when I left Los Angeles and went to go train in other schools, I wore a white belt because Mm -hmm. that's what I was taught to do that, you know, under, especially in Bunjankan or Genbukan, um, Mm -hmm. I'm not ranked in those schools. Yeah. So it's a sign to, I was taught that it was a sign of respect to enter those schools as a white belt, mm-hmm. but, but to tell people, you know, don't be like, you know, yeah, yeah, I've never, I'm a white belt. Ha ha ha. And then meanwhile, you know, like, yeah. Kick you, you, yeah. Um, so I was transparent about my training, but I was wearing a white belt and it was, it was really interesting to see how much people couldn't get past that belt. Yeah. You know, it just, in, and the, in one school in, a, in the Bunjinkan, the teacher, the Shihan um, promoted me like all of a sudden one day to mm-hmm. six Ru or something. I can't remember. Um, wow. But, you know, I, but, you know, meanwhile, I had already been trading for like, you know, 17 years at that point. So it was yeah. like, yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. I, I didn't really, I was actually really happy with the white belt. I was like, this is great. I have no responsibilities. This is fantastic. <laughs> and I can just like, I can just roll around and look at all this stuff all over again. This is like every, every black belt's dream. Yeah, yeah that's true. So yeah. So when he gave me that, that green belt for six, I was like, no, 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 I don't want it. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> so and then we went to we went to a seminar um where it was like it was of course a, a whole bunch of different ninjutsu schools in the Bujinkan were coming together for a training weekend. Um and no, they didn't know me. They've you know, I was new and uh and I'm wearing this green belt. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was maybe I was still wearing the white belt. I don't know. But no matter how many times I said I've been training for this many years. This is my rank in the school that I come from. All they could see was the belt. Oh, that's so interesting. And they were, so that like, I could say it until my face turned blue and they'd be like, well, you're very talented for a white belt or a green belt or whatever <laughs> color the belt was I was wearing. And I yeah, was like, yeah. because I'm, I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I don't really care that much, but where that, where that, why this is all relevant to the conversation we're having yeah. is there were people that I trained with where I, I was, I did outrank them in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they were actual green belts, um, guys. And because I could execute a technique that I've been training for 17 years at that point or whatever it was, um, mm-hmm. they were frustrated that I could do it better than them because they saw, the color of my belt. And according to them, that color was a lower rank yeah. than they were. Yeah. And if I happened to uke or strike in some way and it hurt them, 
if it caused them a little bit of pain, then when they would do the technique back to me, they would wail on me. And there was one seminar where I walked out of, my arms were completely black and blue up and down Mm -hmm. because this one black belt just could not get over the fact that I have a strong uke as a green belt, according to him. And I was like, this is so dangerous. You know, I mean, this is such nonsense because it's just, I mean, one, are you, do you really understand what it means to earn a black belt? If this is how you're behaving with someone with a lower belt rank than, or what you think is a lower belt rank than you. But when I had a very similar experience when I was still wearing a white belt and another guy entered, entered the dojo, another guy joined the dojo. I was watching Master Ken earlier today. Um, (laughs) So, the uh, another guy joined and he was a white belt and we were doing a, a, a much more advanced technique, which I can't remember the name of as usual, but nonetheless, it's one that, I feel like- yeah, it's, I did it. It was fine. It was great. He couldn't understand how I did it. And so he tried to muscle through it. And I thought, well, this is really dangerous. You have no idea what you're doing you're going to put me in a position where either I defend myself because you're about to hurt me, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm just going to have to allow you to hurt me, which is stupid. No, no, not okay. You know? And meanwhile, like, you know, nobody's paying attention to this and I'm thinking, where is the leadership here? And, and mm-hmm. every time I've trained outside of the school where we first learned, mm-hmm. it's always made me really appreciate the training that we had. Mm-hmm. You know, to have these principles in place that not not all bodies are alike. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. muscle through things just because somebody is a lower belt rank. If they do something better from than you, then learn from it. You yeah. know, don't get yeah. jealous. Figure out how they did it. You know, yeah. <laughs> let them teach yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, I think outside of our school, the only place I've ever heard that was in Dublin. They really? they did try to take some time to do that. Like the, the sense it was really good. He actually it's really interesting. He takes a lot of pride in trying to maintain the connections to the roots. And Mm -hmm. he has pilgrimages to Japan like Mm -hmm. multiple times a year and will train, like go to his private classes and they're fantastic. Like he, he really does try. And it's always interesting to me too. In that same light, what you're saying is like, sometimes the teachers will push these things and it just takes Mm -hmm. like one student or had to have a bad day or, the one student who just never fully understood the lesson to do that. And it just changes right. the whole feeling in the school. Right. And right. Yeah. It's like there was one in it's the reverse in my San Diego dojo. I actually never met the senseis because they were deployed. Oh, <laughs> um, right. yeah. So I have no idea what all the teaching structures would normally be like, but mm-hmm. there was one student who just every time I trained with him hurt me and it was like his mission to do it. And I think at one point he actually started trying to quiz me about the lineage we train in and started telling me like it's wrong and that we're fake and I don't actually have martial arts experience, which was his own level of insulting. And he did apologize a week later. Right. But the fact that we had, I had to go through being injured by him and then verbally explain to him that my training is legitimate and has value. Mm-hmm. was so demeaning and I actually kind of stopped going because of it right but there was on the flip side another student who kept calling me like once a month asking how I was doing and always reaching out and he still does like right and it's just that's yeah nice. but it's, it can just take those one or two bad people and the same thing happened mm-hmm. to me that it was it I, it was after that second seminar when I walked away with black and blue arms yeah um and, and just some stuff in the school that I was training with, I was like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth it for me yeah. to go yeah. through this crap. You know, I'm yeah. just not interested, um, which is a pity, but I'm still friends with some of the people that train there, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a very frustrating yeah. situation to be in because then you don't get the benefit of training. Yeah. And the value of like what that teacher has, because every teacher has their own. Yeah. Every teacher has specialty. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, yeah, it's really a, it's really a bummer, but it's, 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 it's a lot like create, I mean, it's creating a toxic environment and 
I've experienced for myself a few times in in martial arts, um, men who just outright hate women, and oh no, and who you know you're on the mats with them, and for them this is like, I mean it's a martial art. Now they can just hit you and, and you know, take all, all of their aggression towards women or frustration or whatever their problem is out on you. Mm-hmm. I haven't experienced that too often, but once or twice I have. And I feel like what those guys are doing, um, it, whether it's overtly or whether it's like the guy you're talking about in San Diego um, or some of the people that I was training with in the school here, are creating an environment that it, they're purposely making it ugly to to push you out. Yeah. You know, just coming up with any possible way to get rid of you because they just don't want you there. Not you personally, but just because mm-hmm. you're a woman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's really, really it's, frustrating. It's yeah. It's quite messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard anyway. that there aren't many other women <clears throat> in the class. Yeah, that's a that's a problem. I was talking to um, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu person yesterday, and we were talking about how um, there's really there's really a lot of women in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Really? Yeah, they really they have they're they're really really active at recruiting women. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And that's such a different. When I first started in martial arts, it was women. There were more women in Aikido. Mm-hmm. And I think like after that would have been kind of even between karate and taekwondo Mm -hmm. and then nothing like no women anywhere else. And there weren't even women in the MMA at that time. So I think that only started like a few years after I started martial arts. Mm -hmm. So, but Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has been really, really um, proactive about recruiting women. Okay. So, but it's a, but it's an interesting thing to me because especially like in ninjutsu, I mean, there's, there's still such, so few women. Mm-hmm. And when I first earned my, my first black belt, I was like, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> you know, I was like, there's, there's, yeah, there's yeah. nobody else. There's nobody else. Mm-hmm. And especially because in our school, we did, because we're not in the in the Bujinkan or Gembukan, you know, I didn't have access to those people. But yeah. even then, there weren't that many women who are black belts. So mm-hmm. now there's more, which I'm really happy to see. But for the longest time, I honestly, I was like, am I the only one? Like, really? Is it, are there any others? Yeah. 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 It, yeah. <laughs> there's not many of us. And it's no. really sad, but it's also super interesting to me to see how many women come to me now and mm-hmm. ask for pointers or information or techniques. Right. Um, a lot of which, you know, the basic stuff I'd want to show them goes right back into your pretty deadly course. It's, mm-hmm. it almost kind of makes me every time we go through it, I'm like, okay, great. Now will you sign up and just train for a couple months or weeks and like, really understand some of the stuff because you like it you're you're enjoying the movement i would love for you to now get into the community and make us bigger and half the time the response i get is well it might be too rough for me and i know they're thinking of the men that are gonna kick them and sure be aggressive right yeah and i think in my experience so far with pretty deadly that's true to a certain degree um Mm -hmm. i think some people that have taken pretty deadly or even just taken a workshop um, mm-hmm. are immediately like, okay, I want, I want martial arts now, you know, yeah. to, they're forget level two and level three. They just want to go straight to martial arts. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. Um, that's actually the point, you know, that's what I want them to do, whether they, mm-hmm. they learn from me or they sign up with, you know, Krav Maga or Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or Jiu Jitsu or Hapkido or Taekwondo, I don't really care. Yeah. Just go get into martial arts because I think there's so many benefits for women in it. And I don't mean just in physical safety. I mean, in the way that we relate to our bodies um, mm-hmm. and in the way that we occupy space in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think all martial arts delivers that 
that exact same thing, regardless of the style. Yeah. So it's a, so that's great. But there are some women who, who want to train in Pretty Deadly forever because mm-hmm. they're not ready yet to go against a man. Yeah. Um, my guess is it's not really forever, but the, it's just a longer process. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And I think because we're so socialized to not hurt and we don't want to be hurt, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to face that fear of some guy like, you know, tackling us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people have the idea too that martial arts can be really, really strict, you know, like your Navy SEALs guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and which is true in depending on the school and depending on the teacher. But mm-hmm. I think most people who are really outside of martial arts just feel like it's all discipline because that's kind of how it's been sold. Mm-hmm. You know, that's been the marketing for a long time up yeah. until Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, really. But, <laughs> yeah. But really, I mean, up until that point, it was really like, you know, martial arts it was all like Steven Seagal, you know, like it's this purity. I'm really laser focused, you know, I'm on the one true path, you know, I'm living this sort of ascetic life of, you know, the Buddhist Shaolin monk kind of thing and not understanding that. Yeah, no, none of that is actually true. No, lots of martial artists, you know, love a good beer and a glass of wine mm-hmm. and eat really crappy oh, food. Yes. yes. My yes. best social outings were when I went for drinks with my Dublin dojo people. Oh, I'll bet. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Bad choices were made and it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And that, you know, people were, we're just human and we're finding this yeah you know, this thing. So, I, and I think especially women who are really, really, really outside of the world of martial arts and have no um, contact with it other than propaganda, that that's what they think. And I mean, all martial arts is kind of marketed that way. You know, it's either the, the you know, the, the Aikido of we don't hurt anyone, which isn't mm-hmm. entirely true, but yeah. <laughs> nonetheless, um, or it's all like, you know, yeah, we're MMA, or BJJ, or, you know, we're ninjas, we're we're ninjas, but it's that still like, it's not as loud, but it still is like, and discipline, and I train all the time, and my body's hard, and and, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's been the sell for such a long time, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think with, not I think, I know, because I'm the one who developed the program, but Mm -hmm. the reason why, (laughs) (laughs) The reason why there are three levels is, I mean, it's because people had asked me for more after the first level. They were like, well, what's next? You know, and immediately I was like, well, now it's martial arts. So they were like, but they weren't ready. Mm -hmm. And the, yeah, but it made sense to keep, you know, giving, um, to develop some new courses and build skills, you know, that started to address like much, you know, more and more specific things. But also by the time somebody's finished with whether it's the first level or the third level, they actually already have a really good grounding in martial arts. So that if you walk into a martial arts school, you may feel intimidated, but if you start rolling around on the floor, you'll be like, oh, I actually know some of this stuff. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean, you started out saying about, you know, walking into martial arts schools and um, it can be scary. I think as a woman, yes. you know, especially, especially ninjutsu, like totally doesn't help since it's all black key and yeah. Yeah. It's intimidating yeah. looking. Yeah. It's intimidating looking. And, you know, if you walk into a room of, and also cause it's always mostly men. Mm-hmm. So you walk into a school of all these men dressed in black, especially yeah. if they're super serious. Yeah you know, yeah. rolling around grunting and, and hurting each other. And you're like, you know, ah. Yeah, I don't know. really want to smell like that or. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to smell like that. I never <laughs> I mean, want to smell like that. Yeah. No, but that yeah, is, you that know, is one half thing of to deal it. with. Yeah. That is something to deal with, the smell. I have to say it is, yeah, that's hard. Those, I think those were really the only times that um, I was really put off of training. 
Oh gosh, and it was the wet geese for me. I could muscle through the smell, but oh, the wet geese. The oh, wet geese. Like gross. if we've been training for a couple minutes or even a half an hour, and I'm I'm grabbing your gi, and it's just I can oh, ring out. Gross, <laughs> gross, 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 gross. <laughs> oh yeah yes i know i know what you mean san diego and dublin were very good about letting us um take off the jackets if it was getting too hot and Uh open windows i was so grateful (laughs) oh god yeah it's um yeah there were times when i walked into studio city martial arts and just like walked in through the back door and kind of the smell hits you in the face and i was like Nobody's actually, yeah, exactly. Like nobody's seen me come in. I could just slip out mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. I don't know about this. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's pretty Ooh. off-pitting. So we talked a little bit about Pretty Deadly. You are a Pretty Deadly coach. Yeah. And why? Thanks to you. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're welcome. So yeah. what made you want to be a Pretty Deadly coach? Um. Hopefully I don't give a long convoluted answer again, but (laughs) somewhere between probably two factors. One would be Shelby and Serena signed up for it. And Mm -hmm. I, like I said earlier, my big thing is the community and having a good community, Mm -hmm. um, which is what kept me in Studio City and pushed me in Dublin. I, I really enjoyed having those things. And well, the idea of working with them more and helping the martial art in our area grow just sounded fun. And mm-hmm. I could keep that community and I could try to help other people understand it because as I mentioned a little bit ago, since I got my black belt, so many people have been asking me to show them how to defend themselves and mm-hmm. having something a little more concrete than, well, here are my top three suggestions that I can try to show you in five minutes because mm-hmm our you know, time to hang out is about over and you need to go back to work and <laughs> I have mm-hmm. to get a flight um, versus, okay, here's a program, let's schedule time to do it. And by the way, here's two other friends who are also training in martial arts and maybe we can show you this concept of self-defense isn't just about being able to raise your elbow or kick somebody. It's actually good and okay to fully commit into. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you don't go into the martial art, but then you can at least get the idea that when you defend yourself, that is what you are doing. You don't need to kind of squeal away from right. doing the kick. Um, so that's one component, but the other component that really, really got my interest was when we were talking to you and you brought up the idea of spreading this to refugees and the migrants and people who are seeking asylum and helping them get for some self-defense because they're really, they're fleeing violence, they're facing ungodly amounts of violence right now mm-hmm. and the reality is, is they need something a lot of them don't necessarily know how to protect themselves like most people don't and if we had something really simple and easy like the app mm-hmm. that we could just send them and then help them through that's mm-hmm. it, it, that's where I want my career path to go is to work with these people and help them and so if this right. is one way that I can do it now and to start that career it's I'm hitting so many different things, goals at once. It's right, yeah. right, because that's your specialty: migrant, migrant rights, migrants. Yeah, right. Yeah, Speci- specialty is maybe specialty. not the right word. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I just got my degree, my master's degree in international peace. Okay, so a little more than specialty. <laughs> well, it's not migrants. That's why I'm like, eh, we can say it. I hope it will be there. Like that's where I want it to go. But I am trying to acknowledge as you know, the green belt who understands they're not a black belt yet, mm-hmm. but this is, that's the goal. That to me is my black belt is being mm-hmm. an advocate and an expert in migrant rights. Right now, I just have the education and the beginnings of my career. A question that I was always asked before I went to Dublin to get my master's degree is how could a martial artist be studying peace? And how does that work because people couldn't get their head around the idea that peace studies and something that would be considered violent and aggressive mm-hmm. would be one person could be doing both mm-hmm. how did you so, answer them well it was always really interesting so it was the kids when I was teaching um, and the answer I gave them was it's two sides of the same coin 
if mm -hmm. you really, really want to understand peace and how to achieve peace, you have to understand the mindset of the people who are fighting and you have to be able to hold your own against them. And it's not that you want to go into situations to make peace and you're gonna bring out your fists and your swords or whatever and mm -hmm. actually fight them, but you need to be able to speak their language and engage mm -hmm. with them and make them feel heard and understood to bring it back down. And it's one of the reasons why, there's so many reasons I can't even go in through the full Good Friday Agreement in Northern Ireland and how that violence was able to kind of tamper down. But mm -hmm. one of the things that worked was that they were able to bring voice to the Catholics and the Protestants. Mm -hmm. And by both sides being heard at the same level with the same language, you could make something work. Mm -hmm. So that's why right now with Brexit, it's so scary about what's going to happen with the Good Friday Agreement, because that needs to stay. Right. Because as soon as you start making it seem like the Catholics aren't going to be heard or the Protestants aren't going to be heard, it's the violence could come back. Right. So you don't you have to look at the martial arts not as an art of violence or an art of aggression or a purpose to become an aggressor, but to understand more about humanity so you can approach it a little better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that I, was all I, before I started studying. If I went into what I learned, my gosh, we'd be here another like two hours, but. <laughs> I think that that's a, I think it's great that the kids were asking that question, you know, how can that be yeah. two sides of the same coin? Now I look at martial arts at this point in my personal journey with it as really a physical exploration of balance and mm -hmm. how to achieve not achieve balance because that sounds like it, there's an end point. Yeah. Um, but how to be in balance, mm -hmm. understanding that balance is not actually static. Yeah. That balance yeah. is always in motion. And I think that in relation to peace studies and diplomacies um, is extremely relevant. I mean, that's, oh, isn't that what every, well, theoretically, isn't that what every politician is supposed to be doing? Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> you said something really interesting about that. Like if this is what I can do now. And it's um that's something that I try to focus on a lot when I'm talking to people about, you know, why do you need to why do people need to learn this? Or or the question that I I haven't been asked this in a while, but that I was getting asked was, shouldn't you be educating men to not hurt women? And I was like, well you know, yes and no, I guess, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, I mean, yes, but also is that really my responsibility, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But my real issue is that, you know, to educate a whole population of people to rearrange their thinking um, yeah. and their belief systems takes a long time. And yep. meanwhile, women are dying now. Yeah. And now. And now, yeah, right now, I will bet you, I, I, I don't even have to, three women were just killed mm -hmm. at every yeah. single moment I said that. Yeah. So being able to, to reach people immediately and give them some tools that they can use immediately mm -hmm. just, to, just to release some of that energy devoted to staying alive, basically. Mm -hmm so that you can refocus that on, on, you know, maybe not yet thriving because there's many steps between, you know, the, the migrant and the refugee experience to a thriving human being in whatever place they've settled. Mm -hmm. um, but at least that one little tool yeah. to help, yeah. you know, or, or a big tool, depending. Yeah. Well, and even but, expanding further, if you were successful to teach all men to stop being aggressive towards women, that doesn't mean we don't need self-defense. Like, there's, in peace studies, the thing that was beat into us is the concept that peace is essentially unachievable. And mm -hmm. a couple people wrote their dissertations on that because there's so many different forms of violence that mm -hmm. at all times there will be the creep. There will be the right. one guy you need to protect yourself against. Or even if it's not a guy, realistically, we could use this against like 
a coyote coming after us. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's so many other reasons you would need self-defense that you might as well just have those skills. Right. Uh, yeah. Coyotes actually are, um, we learn a move in, in the level two course. Um, no. That was actually created based on coyote attacks. What? <laughs> oh, this is exciting. Okay. I have to find that and teach it to my dad. Why? Does he get attacked by coyotes? <laughs> we live in coyote country. We're like tucked into the mountains. Yeah, but they, and... they, they don't attack humans. Oh, yeah. Do they? Yeah. In our area, they have at least. Oh, they must um, be hungry. Like they crawled into somebody's house and took a baby out of a garage once. Well, babies and yeah. small animals, but my adult old. humans? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I worry about him. He, he thinks the way to defend against a coyote is, is a little outdated. <laughs> Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll have a chat. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, but I think it's more than that. I think it's more than just, you know, there will always be the creep. There will always be, mm -hmm. you know, some issue, but I think learning these self-defense moves, it, you know, they're applied to more than just physical mm -hmm. danger and physical threats or even emotional or mental or, you know, economic. They're, they're, when they're internalized is my hope at any rate is when they're internalized, they help, they help grow a confidence and a self-awareness. And I don't mean that in a, in a like, you know, therapy, psychotherapy kind of way. I don't want to mm -hmm. just, I don't want to demean psychotherapy or psychology, but I just don't mean it like, you know, you should be more self-aware, but they create yeah. an awareness of your body. Um, and, and an awareness of the physical self that helps foster confidence that allows you to go do things that you might mm -hmm. not otherwise do. Yeah, yeah. And, so true. And, and, you know, that's, that's what I got from martial arts. But I know that not everybody wants to study martial arts. Mm -hmm. So that's what I try to, that's sort of the essence of what I'm trying to convey in Pretty Deadly, mm -hmm. you know, but learning realistic self-defense techniques, learning self-defense techniques for realistic situations yeah. is, is the more correct way to put that, including coyotes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you have a coyote technique. That's... <laughs> Well, it wasn't really for coyotes. It was inspired by coyotes, which I, I believe I, I think I'm the only human who's ever said that. I, <laughs> Inspi inspired by coyotes. <laughs> it's my new scent. Oh, you love that. Should be your opening jingle. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine? What would that even be like? Um, yeah. But yes, it was by the way that coyotes attacked. But yeah. So it's, it's a... Um, yeah, it's more than just physical defense and more than yeah. just physical safety. And, and I think if you have, if you've kind of entered that stream of migrant, immigrant, refugee, mm -hmm. um, you know, these, these massive shifts in population, which before the pandemic, I was reading that it was, it was calculated that by the year 2025 or something, there would be over six, it was really huge, this really huge number of people, it was like 1.2 billion people or something will have basically shifted from their place of birth to another place, either as a refugee, a migrant, an immigrant, an expat, whatever, but mm -hmm. this, this massive shift of population, mm -hmm. um, all of which, requires a sense of safety and stability, at least within yourself in order to create a new life, even if you're a privileged expat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's only getting worse. The pandemic's just, yeah. <laughs> I could go down rabbit's holes, but like there's um, one of my colleagues came out with research colleagues, it's a professor's friend. So I don't, it's not a professor, it's not a coworker or, kind of that in between, I respect him. Um, he came out with a new data similar to that, that there's supposed to be like, I wanna say between 50 and 75% increase in war around the world because of the pandemic. Mm. And that's not to say like 75% of the world's gonna go up in flames fighting wars, but like 
I think right now the number of classified wars we have right. is just expected to increase that much because of the impact of the right. pandemic and the economic crisis. And so you, you compound what you're talking about with this increase in migration, with this increase of war, mm-hmm. and just the number of people who need to defend themselves and just be safe if they're on the move, if they're trying to get to, if they're in a new destination, or even if they're at home. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an exorbitant amount of human life. Yeah, it's a it's it's interesting because I I remember during the 2016 elections when it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win because mm-hmm. she won the popular. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I know, I know. <laughs> um, uh, for a second, I was like, I mean, I was so happy. Uh, you know, I had just I had just I come to Berlin and I had just gotten pretty deadly underway um mm-hmm. fully like you know as a full yeah. full program and it looked perfect. like she was going to win and i was like this is so fantastic but will mm-hmm. will will this still be needed oh yes yeah but. Uh, well, and then of course trump was elected anyway which, uh, yeah but it's a it's, yeah, let's it's not get into politics yeah but it but it was an interesting question of like you know what would if people are feeling safe and secure, will they seek this out? And in some ways, no. I just read a headline um, that last week when um, when it was announced that a vaccine was really close or a vaccine was found or created or whatever, yeah. however they come up with them. It's close. Yeah. Um, and, everyone, and everyone was feeling pretty light that day. Like globally, everyone mm-hmm. seemed pretty happy. And I saw a headline in the news that um, gun shares had fallen because of this news. Like suddenly people are like, okay, well, we don't need guns, I guess, because because now there's a vaccine. So we're all going to go out into the, uh, this reverse logic. (laughs) No, I mean, I think it was more like if there's, if there's, if there's no vaccine and if resources are becoming more and more scarce, I want to protect yeah. what I have and I'm going to need a gun and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. American post-apocalyptic thinking and all of this stuff. So, so, but what's, but the thing is, is like a gun is a different thing. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, okay, I guess there's going to be vaccine. Well, okay. I don't need to buy a gun now. But the, having a gun isn't the thing that, and, and I know there's a lot of people who would probably disagree with me, but having a gun is not the thing that, when you're holding it in your hand that says, you know what, yes, I can found a nonprofit organization to help educate migrant children mm-hmm. in coding skills. You know, that gun isn't going to give you that confidence. It's that learning what you have inside you um, that gives you that confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad that people, I guess I always try to think of the happier side and the more utopian that when we're all locked up in the pandemic, people should be a little safer because no one's going out and people are trying to take care of each other. (laughs) It's not the case. Not really. I wish no. it were. <laughs> it would be I'm nice. So yeah, yeah, it would be nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't seem to quite behave that way as human beings. Oh no. I yeah. But yeah. you're right at the same time is I've never heard of somebody buying a gun and and I'd love to meet somebody who says this but instantly says I feel better. Right. And well, I think people say, I feel better. I feel safer now that I have this gun, but not like I feel empowered. Yes, I feel empowered I mean. to go build something incredible with my life yes. because I have because this I, gun now. Yeah. 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 Because I have a gun, suddenly my life has more meaning and whatever. Even if, you know, change it for I have a sword or what your weapon or choices. I've never seen anybody look to some physical object like that. And you're yeah. right, it's, you need something to build you from the inside that right. feeds you. Of course, now I'm sitting here trying to think, like, how do I feel about my sword? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know how yeah. I feel about my sword, but... As I was saying, I made sure to not say six-foot staff because that's my baby. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, so you left out your own weapon. Nice. I did. <laughs> okay, well... Yeah, yeah.
I love Marilise's martial arts journey, from starting out as something to do with friends to it becoming something she does just for herself. Also, she's trained with Navy SEALs. How badass is that? You can find out more about Marilise and her work at her profile on our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. Under the Our Team tab, you'll be able to learn Pretty Deadly moves from her directly online and at Pretty Deadly app parties coming up in 2021. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman, too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.